Well, good morning. It's so much fun for me to be with you. I've been with you on Friday night and here yesterday and, and now this morning. And I, I want to start by just saying thank you. Thank you for all you're doing as a church to help take this message of Jesus all over the world. And yes, it's through the Jesus film, but it's also through other missionaries that you support. So we're grateful this morning to have folks like Gladys Hillman. Gladys, where are you? Raise your hand. Where's Gladys? Right there. Gladys, we're so excited for you. And Bill Sims over here and family, okay. All right, so I just got to tell you, you got some of the best, okay. I don't know how, just you do. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us with the Jesus film and so many other missionaries around the world. You're having a global impact. All right, so last night I got to go to see the film, The Jesus Revolution. All right, has anybody seen the film yet? You guys seen it? All right, well, here's what I discovered. That film was a depiction of my life. I was the radically converted heathen uh, at the university during the Jesus Revolution. At the end of the movie, they have a picture of Explo 72, which was the gathering of 80,000 people in the Cotton Bowl in 1972. Was anybody there in the Cotton Bowl? And yeah, Gladys, you and I maybe are the only ones. Somebody, you were there? You were there at Explo 70. Bless your heart, okay? You, you knew what it was like. At the end of the movie, they show a picture. So maybe you'll see Gladys in the picture, okay, when you go to the movie. Yeah, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? But there was a time where God was at work, and I was the radically converted heathen. I grew up in a family outside of Detroit where my dad was an executive at Ford Motor Company, and there was no time for God. There was no Bible, there was no church, there was no Christian family, and it wasn't until I got to Michigan State University, and I watched the change of life in one of my friends for six months. I saw his life change right before my eyes. I could not believe it. This was the rowdiest guy in our, in our living unit. Finally, I got curious enough, and I went and asked him. I, I didn't know quite how to bring it up, okay? I didn't know any, I knew he might have been religious. And I said, well, now, someone told me you used to be different. What happened to you? And he says, well, here, tell you what. I think the best way to explain it, I've, I've, I've got this little booklet up in my desk. Let me go get it. So he goes upstairs and he gets this little booklet. It turned out to be the four spiritual law booklet. You guys, this is so far back, they had just printed it as a white booklet, okay? Glad you remember when it was a white booklet, okay? And what I learned later was he had never read the booklet before. Someone had just given it to him and said, listen, if you ever get a chance to tell somebody about Jesus, just, just read this booklet. Don't leave out a word, don't add a word, just read this booklet. So he gets it out. He didn't know what was on page two, okay? So he's there, and he's reading it through with me, and we get done with the booklet, and he says, now, Bill, do you think you understand why you need Jesus? And I said, well, yeah. And he says, well, okay. Uh, when do you think would be the best time to make that kind of a decision? I said, well, I guess right now. He said, well, if you want to, okay. You just, I'll pray out loud. You pray silently, and you ask Jesus to come into your life. And that's what I did. As a 19-year-old, I had never heard the gospel before, ever. He said, now, if you're going to grow, you're going to need to study the Bible. Have you got a Bible? And I said, no, I've seen a Bible, but no, I really don't have a Bible. He says, okay, well, tomorrow, let's get together, and I'll, and I'll bring you a Bible. So the next morning, we got together, and he brought me one of these little green pocket New Testaments from the Gideons. Anybody got one of those green pocket New Testaments from the Gideons? Bless the Gideons, I'll tell you. They gave me my first Bible. 
So the next morning we get together and, and he says, here, I got you a Bible. And I looked at it, no, I'd seen a Bible and it was a lot bigger than this little green thing, you know? And, you know, and I said, now, is that the whole Bible? And he says, well, no, not really. He says, that's the New Testament. There's an Old Testament too. So my question is, well, which one's better? Which one's better? And he says, well, they're both good. They're, 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 they're both good. We're going to start with the new part. And so for the next three months, he met with me five days a week for 30 minutes a day. And we just looked in this little green New Testament together. And my life began to change. Fast forward two years, I sat around a table just before I was graduating with my degree in economics, headed towards law school. And I sat around a round table with Dr. Bill Bright, the founder and president of then called Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. And he asked me a question that I couldn't answer that changed the course of my life. We sat around a table and he asked me to share my testimony and I, I did and, and then uh, he asked me this question. He said, Bill, what will you do with your life that will last forever? What will you do with your life that will last forever? And I really didn't have an answer. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. You know, and he could tell I was squirming. And so he hands me this little piece of paper. It ended up being an application for the staff with crew, okay? He never asked me to come with crew. He said this, why don't you come help us fulfill the Great Commission? Why don't you put those plans for law school on hold for two years and just come with us? Two years. And so I said yes. But first I said to him, Dr. Bright, you know, I, I don't think so. I'm just not spiritual like those Camps Crusade people, okay? And I don't think I'd ever get accepted anyway. And he looked at me with a little glint in his eye, and he says, well, you might be surprised. And to my great amazement, I was accepted. I've had one job in 52 years. And it's the same job I'm doing today. It's about helping to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what it's all about. This morning, what I'd like us to do is we're going to do three separate things this morning in this time together. We're going to first look in the scriptures together in 1 Peter 2, and we'll put those verses up in just a minute. And then I want to give you a little idea of what God is doing around the world today in unprecedented, unbelievable kind of ways to help this great commission be fulfilled. I want to give you a little status report. We're going to kind of cycle up and look at a bigger picture of where things are at around the world. Yes, and how the Jesus film might be a part of that. And then at the end of the time, I'm going to give you some really practical, specific things that you can take home with you. Someone called them sacks for the groceries. My friend Nay Bailey that uh, we know says, you know, if you get groceries, you got to have sacks to take them home. So we're, we're, we're going to look at a couple of sacks for the groceries this morning too and what we might do to take home some of these things we hear from this time together, all right? So first, let's look at these verses. I want to read them, if we can put them up. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, and we'll start in verse 6. Can we do that? Can we put those verses up? Let me just read it for you. I'll read slowly from what's in front of me, and you look on these screens. It says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the 
honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What I want to do is just make a couple of observations about this, and then we'll share some of the exciting things that God is doing. But the first observation I'd like to make from this verse is the second word you see here. It's about you. You. And the you is, yes, it's plural, but it's also, it's individual. It's almost as though we could go around the room this morning and say, it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about me. It's about each one of us. It's about each one. He's saying, what is it now that's true about each one? And then he goes on to say, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen person. Okay, what I want you to do this morning, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are a chosen person. All right? Do it, do it right now. Tell the person next to you, you are a chosen person. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, you're a chosen. Sometimes we don't feel like this. Sometimes it doesn't seem personal. We read this and it doesn't. Oh, that's, that's, that's not me. I don't feel chosen. All right? You are. You were chosen. A special person. We keep reading. It says, yes, not only chosen race, but a royal priesthood. Now, when I heard this word priest, you know, I, I think of the guy with a collar on. I, I, I just got to tell you that. Okay, that's, that's what I think. Yeah. But what I can also tell you based on this verse is it says, you, you are a royal priest. You. Well, what's the function of the priest? The priest does what? The priest represents people to God, right? You think of the high priest that offered sacrifice. He represented people, the sins of the people before God. And that's what you do. Each one of us here is a priest priesthood of all believers. We represent people to God. We would call that prayer, you typically, wouldn't we? But we also represent God to people. And that's the point he's getting to here in this section is, yeah, we proclaim his excellencies. We are a priest. Now, sometimes it'd be easier, I think, if every one of us wore a collar. All right, why? I can remember going, <laughs> I'm an elder at our church in Orlando, and I go to visit people in the hospital, you know, and when I go in, I, I got to show my credentials. You know, I, I got to go to the desk and pull out my driver's license and, you know, show, yes, you're an ordained person. Yes, okay, great, okay, you're good. While I was doing that the last time, guy walks right by me. Yeah, they never even asked him. Why? Because he had a collar on. Yeah, the guy had a collar on. He walked right by. I'm thinking, man, I got to get one of those collars, you know. Yeah, that would be, make it a whole bunch easier. Wouldn't it be interesting if, as a believer, we took on that role as a priest and were identified every day by some physical description like a collar. You are a royal priesthood. You are a priest. You represent people to God and God to people. It's just what it says. It's who you are. Look at the next one. Yeah. Not only that, but you are a holy nation, a special 
group of people set apart. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about us as ambassadors. It says that we represent the king. You think of what God did with Abraham in the very beginning. He called him as a special group of people to bless how many? Everyone. Can you see it? We are blessed so that we might be that kind of a blessing as his ambassadors. And then the final thing it says here is that we are his own possession, his own family, right? Family. We are the family of God. We are his sons and daughters. You are that kind of a special person. But now the key words in this verse. Those are all things we would know. You are what? Chosen. You are royal priesthood. You are special, a part of his family. Can you see who you are? But because of who you are, the two key words here to look at this morning are so that. Can you see it? There's a purpose behind who he's made us. Yeah, let me see if I can read it. Yeah. So that you might hide the excellencies of him. Isn't that what it, isn't that what it says here? No, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me try to get it. Okay. So, so, so the Pastor Tim can explain the excellencies of him. No, no, I, no, I'm sorry. Gladys and Bill. So that Gladys and Bill, the missionaries, you know, they can be the one that proclaim the excellencies of him. No, look at what it says. For each one that he's made in this special way, with this special relationship, with this special calling, there was a reason it was so that. So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. He wants to use every one of us, every single one of us. Somehow the words of Dr. Bill Bright ring in my ear once in a while when I think of these kind of things. I remember him saying many times, once to me, Bill, what's the most important thing that's ever happened in your entire life? And I'd have to say knowing Christ. He said, so what's the most important thing you could ever do for somebody else? It would be to help them to know Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's who we are. Sometimes in this culture it seems so difficult, but everything I've read from those that are doing research in this country is that people are most responsive to hear about Jesus in crisis. We could talk for a long time about the crisis things that are happening today right here in our country, couldn't we? We've all gone through what? COVID. Yeah, and then there's social instability, and there's economic trouble with inflation, and there's racial divides and political divides. What I can tell you is, you guys, it is a wonderful time to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. People respond in crisis more than any other time. Think back about the early church in those first 200 years where there was so much persecution of the church. Yeah. Did you know that there were also two plagues that happened in those first two centuries? Two plagues in the first two centuries. Who was it that cared for the sick people? It was the church. It was the church. In the midst of persecution, they took people in at the risk of their life. They didn't isolate in a home. They accepted people. They went out of their way. I know people that tell me historically the birthplace of the hospital was from the church. They were the ones that reached out and cared and took care of people and shared the message of Jesus. That's our history. 
That's how God brought us to this point. It's incredible to think of how he's called us so that, so that we might be those that might be a little part of helping someone hear about Jesus, that we might be one of those that would care. What I want to do now is to give you a little idea of some of the things that God is doing as he's using people like this around the world. Where are we at in this Great Commission? I, I just want to give you just a little bit of an update, okay? We're seeing breakthroughs today that we have never seen before that allow us to get this message of Jesus to every single person in the world. Every single one. It's across the street, and it's around the world. It's both, isn't it? It's my neighbors and nations. He wants to do both. You think of those final words of Jesus, you know, when he says, go into all the world, right? He said what? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest parts. For a long time, I thought those four places were sequential. You know what? If you go back and look at the passage, they're not. It's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest part of the world. Yeah. Is it about us right here reaching folks in Dalton, Georgia? Yes, it is. And way beyond. He wants us all to be a part of that. Yes, it's here and it's around the world. Someday there will be people, it says in Revelation 7, 9, from how many places? Every place, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Let me give you a little update on how we're doing on that. Right after the Graham organization had their gathering in the year 2000, groups came together and said, I wonder where there are places in the world where there's nothing, zero. No church, no Bible, no missionary. The gospel's never gone. I wonder if we could find out where those places are. And some that had done research said, you know, I think there's about 600 of those places around the world where there is nothing. And they had to come up with a new term. They weren't called unreached people groups. They were called unengaged, unreached people groups. Unreached people groups would be those that, what, are less than 2% believers, still a long ways to go. But unengaged people groups are places where there's zip, nothing. No one's ever tried. They never had a believer. They don't have a Bible. There's no church. There's no presence of God in that geographic, ethno-linguistic group. Nothing. We thought there might be 600. We started to do research with all the folks that are doing research and discover there were over 3,100. What I can tell you today is that people in denominations and organizations started coming together starting about 20 years ago saying, how could we together get to every group of people where there's never been anyone? 3,100 of those. The incredible progress today is that there are only 110 groups remaining with no Christian presence. 110, that's it, okay? It's got, but you know what the fun part about it was? They started to work together. I got to be a small part of what they were doing. They asked for our help. I saw things happen I never thought would happen in my lifetime. Let me give you an example. I saw the leader of all the Southern Baptists in the world say to the leader of Youth with a Mission, YWAM, not exactly the same theology, everything we have is yours if you need to use it. Everything. 
I saw people that produced tools like the Jesus film say to others, if you need help, we'll provide you help. And I saw people start to work together. What brought them together? It was the commonality of it's just not right that there are still people in the world that have never had a chance. And none of us are big enough to do it ourselves. We've got to come together in a way that says, okay, I want to give everybody a chance. What I can tell you is that in the next two years, there are people in line ready to go for the final 110 groups that have never had anything ever. Within two years, every single unengaged, unreached people group in the world will have a presence of believers. Long ways to go, sharing the gospel, starting the first church, sometimes getting the scripture, but every single one will have a chance. It's incredible, okay? Tomorrow morning, I'm supposed to meet at 10 o'clock in Orlando with the president of Wycliffe Bible Translators, John Chestnut, my friend, and we're going to look at the remaining task of what's needed for Bibles, because, you know, if you're going to get to every, every person, you're going you're gonna to need to have the scriptures. So there are 7,000 languages in the world that have been agreed upon that these are the ones that need translation. 3,000 have the scripture right now. 2,000 have people that are already working on them. But there are still 2,000 languages in the world where there aren't anybody. There isn't anybody working. None. I went to John a few, uh, about a year and a half ago, and I said, John, uh, how long is it going to take to get to these final 2,000? He said, well, if we were to use the methods we were starting with when Wycliffe started, it would have taken 150 years. 150 years. But you know, we realized we couldn't, we can't wait that long. We're going to start doing things differently in Bible translation. He said, we used to send a PhD or master's level linguist into a country and they'd start with a language and it would take them 25 and 30 years to get the language done and then they'd give it to somebody else to use. He said, what we realized was the first few steps on Bible translation where we just need to find where these people are at. Somebody needs to go and do a survey. Where are they located? And then others need to come along and find what they called mother tongue speakers, people that learned that very first language on their mother's knee that needs the Bible. If we could identify where they were and first mother tongue speakers, we have people now that could work with them in clusters to begin Bible translation. And then he told me this. Bill, we think now every Bible ever needing translation will have been started in the next 10 years. By 2033, every language in the world We'll have portions of the scripture already started. It's there. There are people that have already said we will fund it with the Every Tribe, Every Nation initiative. You guys, these are things happening in our lifetime. Every group getting the gospel, every language having the Bible, things that have never happened. What about churches? How many churches are needed? If, if you just took the standard of, hey, maybe one church for every thousand people in the world, and if there were five billion that still needed to hear about Jesus and have a church started, that would mean we need five million new churches. Five million new churches. Well, what the incredible thing is is that denominations are coming together saying, yes, we want to go there. And this is the fun part for us. They're saying, we need your tool. Bible translators are asking for it. I was in Vanuatu, one of the islands in the South Pacific, and I'm there with a Bible translator. They just finished the New Testament incredible work in this group of people made this huge dedication ceremony and then he comes to me that night in tears and he says bill we got to have your film 
And I said, well, wait, wait, they, they, they just got the New Testament. And he said, yes, but not one person in this tribe can read. No one can read. We need your film so they can see and hear the message of Jesus. When can you get us this film? It's responding to those that are going that we're so excited about. It's not our plan with Jesus film. It's not. It's keeping up with the request of the body of Christ when they're going to the first place that don't have anything or they're getting a new language and they say they got to have our film so people can see it and hear it. So who are some of these groups that are using it? I talked to Paul Chitwood, who's the leader of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptists, and I asked him, uh, how, many, how many places are you using the Jesus film? And he kind of laughed, and he says, well, everywhere. I said, no, 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 how, how many? And he says, well, all 854 locations where we have teams. They're, they're, they're all using the film. A few years back, I was asked to be a part of the board of directors with a denomination I don't even worship with, okay? Church of the Nazarene asked me to come on their board, and I'm the only non-Nazarene on their board. And we started working with them about 20 years ago because they had people to go, but they needed equipment and languages to share the gospel in language after language after language where they had missionaries to send. So what happened? Well, Louis Bustle, their leader, described it this way. He said, well, you know, we used to share the gospel with people one person at a time. It's kind of like fishing with a single hook. He said, and then we started using the Jesus film, and it's like fishing with dynamite, dynamite. He said, we had so many people responding, we, we, didn't, we had to change our whole process. We had to start what we called listening groups under a tree where 15 new believers would gather and then see that turn into an organized church. He said, we kind of knew how to follow people up, but the evangelism side, the tip of the spear, he called it, is what we needed. They started with our partnership and had 7,000 organized churches. And then it became 14,000 organized churches, doubled. And then it doubled again to where today they have 31,000 organized churches, Nazarene churches, 1,109 teams that they support that use the Jesus film. It's that kind of stuff, stuff people that you wouldn't think of that are using this film. How many have ever packed a shoebox with Samaritan's Purse? Anybody done, done that? Everybody, everybody had a chance to do that? Yeah, you got a shoebox? All right, my friend David Thompson lives in Boone, North Carolina. I called him, and he's the one who directs the shoebox operation for Samaritan's Purse. And I said, how many boxes did you have this year? He says, well, just over 13 million boxes is what they said. Unbelievable. And then he says, well, well, thank you. Thank you for your help with what we're doing. I said, well, tell me what we did to help you. Sometimes I don't even know how they're, you know, all this going on. He says, well, we use the children's version of the Jesus film and show it tonight before we pass out boxes the next day. Some countries won't allow us to do the evangelism and pass out the box at the same time. But you guys have got the film in so many languages, we use your film to share the gospel, and then we pass out the boxes. World Relief, same kind of thing. They do good deeds. Cambodia, they're, they're teaching you know, small children why they should scrub their teeth and why they should wash their hands and wonderful things. And the director said, well, could we get one of your sets of equipment like this to take out to our most remote people? I said, okay, great, great. He said, yeah, folks are frustrated because they don't know all of the languages in the most remote areas, and you've got the film in that language. Can you get us a language in the film? So we did. Two months later, I get this response back from the president of World Relief, and it says this, church broke out. 
That, 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 that was this break. Church broke out. We started using your film and people responded. We had, to, we had to embed church planters in our team that would help start churches from the response after they would see your film. God is allowing us access to help these people around the world. I want you to see this projector, so I'm going to call on my assistant. Now, he doesn't exactly look like Vanna White, but I'm going to call Bill up here, okay? All right? Bill, would you come and take just a minute, explain to them about this equipment, would you please? I used to have a 40-pound uh, backpack that uh, contained all this, this uh, material. And I realized as I got older that 40 pounds weighs more than it used to weigh. It's a phenomenon. But 40 pounds was a great upgrade because when we first started showing the Jesus films, uh, Bill was telling me, and I, I remember it was taking uh, three men and a donkey to carry all the equipment with generators and 16-millimeter projectors and big stacks of uh, film boxes and cords and, and all those kinds of things, amplifiers and speakers. It was incredible. But through the years, God has miraculously brought technology into evangelism like never before. So we are having opportunities to use this kind of equipment. For instance, this is the projector. This is the battery. The speaker is all contained in this. All the cords, all those things are there. Microphones. And uh, we go places all over the world that don't have electricity. So that, that battery is charged by this solar panel. So you charge this for eight hours gives three hours of battery time. You can show the film two times or one long film and one short film in the language. God is using technology in a marvelous way. The screen took Bill and I about uh, three minutes to set it up. It used, to take <laughs> it used to take a long time to get it all set up and strung up and nailed in and all that kind of stuff. God is doing miracles today through this, 25 pounds so uh, we're just so excited about how God is using this equipment to help us and to help us help others take the message of Christ all over the world. Go ahead. Thank you, Bill. Great job. All right. So I want you to see a picture of the scariest group of people I've ever been with. If we could put the picture on the screen. I was asked to deliver this equipment in Dubai to people that could come to Dubai, and I could come to Dubai, but they weren't from Dubai. They were from places all over the Middle East. And when I got to be with this group of people, I was dressed like this, and the guy says, well, Bill, you might want to change your clothes. Uh, if, and I said, well, why? Well, it would make them feel more comfortable. And I said, wait a minute. I don't want to going to sit on the floor with these guys for eight hours. Why is it about their comfort? Okay. And he says, no, no, Bill, you don't understand. The people that you're going to meet in this room were trained to kill people that are dressed the way you're dressed right now. Might be to your advantage to make them feel more comfortable to change clothes. Everyone in this room is a former Taliban fighter that has come to Jesus. Everyone. 
Some of them received Christ through reading the Angel, which is what they call the New Testament. Many of them received Christ through watching the Jesus film. And I was there to deliver these sets of equipment because they were being trained to go back into their country, into Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and, and Sudan and Somalia and some really tough spots. And they said they wanted to use this equipment. And I, after I found out where they were going, I said, are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Are you sure you're sure? And they almost looked at me like I was an infidel of some kind, saying, listen, we were trained our whole life and asked to be willing to give our life as a suicide bomber. And then we came to know Jesus. But the ones we grew up with, the ones that we were there in the Jamaat when we were seven and eight-year-old boys and we were being taught how to kill things with our bare hands. No one's ever told them there's another way. No one's ever told them you don't have to blow up your body as a suicide bomber. There's someone 2,000 years ago who died for you to pay for the penalty that you deserve to pay. You don't need to do that. Two of the people in this picture are now with Jesus because they were martyred in showing the Jesus film. They were trained to go back and start a business with their wife and kids and grandparents and everybody at the risk of their life. When people want to do this, we say yes. If you want to take this equipment to places where it's hard, we'll do it. But because it's solar powered, we can do it. You see this little box? Looks like a phone. It's called a Wi-Fi box. This is the other set of technology that's working around the world. This is a Wi-Fi broadcast unit. Doesn't connect to the internet, but whatever you load on this little hard drive is available for someone within about a hundred yard capacity. So where there's no internet, you can put the Bible, you can put the Oral New Testament, you can put the Jesus film, you can put follow-up materials, worship songs, whatever is here in very secret places. So you're on a, a train in China, you turn this on, it's in your backpack, no one knows where it's coming from. But all of a sudden, poop, ping, hey, I've got Wi-Fi, wonder what it is. And they can stream or download the Jesus film where they're at in Syria or in China or in Turkey in all these separate places, but God has given us technology to get to it. You see this little chip? Can anybody, anybody see it? It's a micro SD chip. It's on the top of my finger. Very little thing. This is what they use around the world with non-smartphones. They put it in feature phones. And they use it it's like a storage device. Storage device. I'm sitting in my office, and I get this phone call, and I look down at the number on the call, and I didn't recognize the number. And uh, you know how you can, uh, I don't think I should answer it. You know, I don't recognize the number. But for some reason, I answered the phone. I picked it up. Yeah. And the guy says, uh, is this Bill? Yes. He says, well, you don't know me, but many years ago, the Jesus film helped us. And I wonder if you could help us again. And I said, all right, well, how did we help you before? He says, well, way, way, way back, you got some of those VHS tapes, okay? Anybody still have VHS tapes at your house? Okay, this is like confession. Okay, okay yeah, I still got them, okay? Yeah, VHS tapes. He says, but now, you know what we need? We need chips. wonder if you could get us a Jesus film on a chip. And I said, well, you know, usually there's a, you know, 8 gig or 16 gig or 32 gig. You can probably put more than one Jesus film on a clip, What? What else would you want? And he says, well, what I really want is the written Bible, and then I want the oral New Testament, and I want the Jesus film, and 
If boy, if you'd get us some worship songs and maybe some follow-up materials all in the same language, would they fit? And I said, yeah, they, they'd all fit. I said, well, how, how many of these little chips would you need? And his answer was, well, you know, I don't think we'd need more than 20,000 of those if you could get us 20,000 of those. Yeah, 20,000. I said, okay, now, in order to do that, I, I really know what country. And he got quiet on the phone. I said, no, no, I, I need to know what country so I know what language. Finally, after about a minute of silence, he says, Bill, we have contact with 1,765 underground house churches in North Korea. In North Korea. So at that point, I just I automatically said yes. I didn't know how much it cost. I, I, yes. When do you need them? And the answer he gave, I still think about every day, before the ice melts. That's what you saw on the screen earlier, before the ice. I said, before the ice melts? He said, oh yeah, we'll get this produced in China, and then somebody will risk their life to carry them on the frozen river into North Korea. Can you help us? We got the resources. People graciously from the American Bible Society and Faith Comes by Hearing and other gave us access, and we got them the resources, and I got a three-word text that said, they're ready. You know how you pray for people when they're risking their life? Six weeks, I didn't hear anything, and I'm praying every day, oh Lord, protect these people that go in, and finally, I got another three-word response, and this is what it said. They made it. We will never know the impact until we get to heaven. He said, if we use these, they'll go phone to phone to phone to phone to phone in underground churches in North Korea. Because God has given us the technology and the language tools, people are asking for their, our help. 1,800 partners around the world. Television, we have an opportunity in Turkey this year. Think about it. Easter in Turkey, 16 radio stations, television stations, have asked if we could show our film in Turkey three times on each station this Easter. This Easter. And there's a follow-up. They can phone in. There's a response center where someone's interested. It'll get back with them. God just opens up these doors, and we just happen to have a tool in the right language that we can make available. And what do we say? Yes. But maybe the greatest breakthrough we've had is on your phone. Do you know that on your phone, there's an app for the Jesus film where you can see all 2,000 languages on your phone? How do they use this? There are Jesus followers at Mecca, and as pilgrims walk around the rock, Ramadan's coming, there will be millions that will be there, followers of Jesus that look exactly like the other people who will initiate a conversation and say, would you like to watch a two-minute video on the prophet Isa? And as they walk, they show the film. Two minutes. At the end of the film, they say, would you like to watch the entire film? And if there's a yes response, they take them to a safe house two blocks off the square, show them the entire film. Because we have it on our phone, we can use it anywhere in the world. Anywhere. One final thing, and then we're going to shift gears. I promise to give you some ways to take things home. All right? Here's where you need your pencil. You need to write some things down. This is, this is the, 
nothing hard. These are the easy things to take home. These are the sacks for the groceries this morning. Then we're going to close it off here today. As I think about what's needed for me every day to be available because I'm called and because I'm a priest and because I've been appointed to, by him to proclaim his excellencies, the first thing that I do every day that I'd encourage you to just think about as an action point, when you get up in the morning, pray this way, Lord, lead me to the next person you'd want me to talk to every day. Any person here could do that. Lord, lead me to the next person you want me to talk to. Who is it? And then for me, I have to say, and oh yeah, I'm willing to be interrupted, okay? Because I usually got my day planned. Lead me to the next person. And it's not that I necessarily share the gospel, but who is it you just want me to talk to? Show me who it is today. Make it clear, and I'll be available to be interrupted. Second thing that I would encourage you to think about would be this. Yeah. Okay, you're there. Be friendly. Strike up conversation. How you doing? How's it going today? I find the more I'm friendly with people, people just aren't that friendly anymore. Maybe here in Dalton, they're more than where I'm at, but just it's hard to strike up a conversation. Just You might not get to the gospel, but you establish a contact in conversation. Okay? Yes, that would be the second thing. Okay, third. I call it prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. What I love to do with those people that I meet regularly, you know, the guy that I always see walking his dog in the neighborhood or the one that is across the street or someone that I have, you know, ongoing relationship with, what I say is this, as we're just making small talk and conversation, I love to say this, hey, you know, I love to pray. How can I pray for you and your family? I love to pray. How can I pray for you and your family? And I'm amazed at what happens. Last time it was, well, you know, my wife's sick. She's in the hospital. Oh, really? Well, tell me what's going on. And it gets it to a whole different level. How can I pray for you? And as you do, you're going to discover ways to care. Prayer, care, care. Can I bring you something, you know, a meal? Can I go visit? Is there something I can do? And every time you see them again, it's, hey, how's your wife doing? Prayer, care, share. And I'm amazed how many times you'll have opportunities to share. That's the third thing. And then fourth, get the Jesus Film app on your phone. Okay, why? Because you're going to run into people that you're going to sense have an accent. Oh, hey, listen, I noticed your accent. Did you grow up here? Did you grow up? No. Oh, really? Where'd you grow up? And they tell you, oh, really? Well, you know, was English the first language you learned? No, 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 no. Let me tell how that happened with me. Final story. I'm coming home from the American Bible Society meeting with their leaders, and I get in an Uber going to the airport, 20 minutes, and the guy there's obviously got an accent. And I said, well, where are you from? He says, oh, I grew up in Morocco. Oh, really? What language did you learn? Was it Arabic standard? No, no, no. It was a minor language. You've never heard of it, you know. I said, oh, really? What was it called? And he tells me. So I go to the Jesus Film phone. I put up the app. I sure enough have his language on my phone. Now, I'm sitting behind him in the Uber, okay? And I pick the Sermon on the Mount, and I start to play it, and I put it up behind his ear, and he turns around to look at it. I said, no, 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 no. Just keep, no, no, no. Just keep driving, okay? Just keep driving. Please keep driving. We got to the airport. He says, there are no films in my language. I said, well, we, we have a film in your language. Would you like to see it? Oh, yes, 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 yes. How can I get it? Well, give me your email, and I'll, I'll send you this first little clip, and if you like it, you can get more of it. He says, well, oh, okay, well, can I send it to my family back in Morocco? 
Oh, yeah, you can forward it to your family back in Morocco. He said, you guys have a tool in your hand in 2000 Lancashire. God has called us, each one of us, to be his representatives. God's doing breakthroughs to get to the Great Commission. The Jesus film is just a little bitty part of what God is doing to help in the body of Christ. There's 1,800 groups, and you now have sacks for the groceries to take home. I'd like our pastor to come forward. We have a special presentation we'd like to do to close out our morning. Thank you, Bill. Um, I'm going to have a couple people join me up here on stage in a second, but before I do, uh, Bill shared with you about the opportunity in Turkey um, over Easter weekend. Uh, every year we have a missions project that comes with our missions conference, and for this year, uh, Bill Sims and I sat down and we went through some outreach initiatives through the Jesus film, and we highlighted that one as we looked at um, just what Bill said to us earlier was that people are most responsive to the gospel in times of great crisis, in times of great need. And many of us are aware of what has been happening in Turkey, uh, in the aftermath of Turkey and Syria, of the earthquake that happened there, the incredible amount of damage, the incredible amount of lives that have been lost. And it's a great opportunity for a gospel movement in Turkey. And so for our missions conference project this year, um, we are going to uh, fund a portion of that outreach to show the Jesus film on uh, national broadcast throughout the nation of Turkey. So that giving is now live on our website. You can go on our website and on the giving page, you can go towards the 2023 missions project and you can select a one-time offering to that project. Um, you can give it through the office, through the boxes in the back of the the um, building, anything, any way that you would normally give to the church. But we want you to prayerfully consider. And we'll, we'll remind you of that for a couple weeks. We'll pray for that ongoing, um, the preparations for that, and then the, the ministry that will happen in the nation of Turkey uh, over Easter weekend. But right now, I'm going to ask uh, Gladys to join me up here, and both Bills, if you would all three uh, join me on stage. Um. These three, as you have heard, have uh, all served with um, Crew, which was formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. But we we realized something um, in the preparation for uh, for this conference that um, Bill Sims and Gladys have uh, happened to start around the same time, um, and that was exactly. Uh, or the same year, I guess, they started, but right at 50 years ago. And so for Miss Gladys and Mr. Bill, we have a gift from you that um, Bill Wolf and I both signed, and it's a certificate of appreciation presented to you on behalf of Crew and Fellowship Bible Church for 50 years of ministry with Crew. Bill, same for you. Thank you for your service for 50 years with crew. We, um, yeah. No, no, stay, stay for a minute, stay for a minute. 
there's 160 some years of ministry experience on the stage, and I feel really out of place in that. Um, but um, thank you, Bill. And Bill, you can be seated as well. Gladys, I'm going to have you stay. Um, but uh, we're grateful for all the work of all of our missionaries. And as I said before, we have some others with us. Al Whittinghill is with us. John and Liz are with us. Um, if you want to greet them after the service, um, they'll, they'll be around. If you have any more questions for Bill or Bill about the Jesus film, um, they'll be around as well. I'm going to have the worship team start making their way up. And Miss Gladys has um, one of the things that she does is she writes poetry. And she's going to share one of her poems with us this morning. The title of this poem is God is Never Late. Even though I have told him if he had showed up on time, I would not have had that car accident or a situation in my family would not have happened. The ministry would have stayed on the campus. I would not have been kicked off and I would have been able to buy the shoes that I wanted for the winter or to stay up with the styles of the students on the campus. And as I began to reflect back on this, this is how this poem was born. Waiting puts you in the position to know that Satan cannot rob you or stop what God has planned for you. It is impossible for God to be late. And that's how I reminded him. I said, God, you said it's impossible for you to be late, but if you had been on time, I would have been able to get that driver to come up here and change that flat tire on the interstate. <laughs> Nothing is irretrievable to the hand of God. God is not bound by time. He gives us hope and peace of mind. He can put into the past and readjust it or change it all together. He can pull it into the present. Nothing is impossible for him to do. God can make the impossible come true for you. As I listen to what God is doing around the world, as I have prayed, my sister and I have prayed for world mission. My heart is so excited to go back and tell them. Let me tell you what God is doing around the world. He is the God of yesterday and forever. He doesn't fluctuate like the weather. Praise him. He is the perpetual, eternal I am. He's unchangeable. He always remains the same. Praise God. <laughs> he is not limited to the past or the future. He sees what's going on with all mankind and nothing take him by surprise. And nothing can escape his watchful eyes. He can resurrect something that you thought was lost and present it to you. Nothing is impossible for God to do. And God want to use even our suffering to teach us how to worship him in the midst 
of our suffering. The waiting process is not always easy. When you are waiting on God to respond to your needs, God waits until we get hungry enough to wait on him to express his holy presence. God wants to show just how much he loves and cares for us. He will give you the faith and the confidence to wait on him. He has, he, has, he has you wait on him to show you the power to bring you through your trials. And I would encourage each of, each of us as we face difficulties, setbacks, remind ourselves God is never late. Do you feel the world is broken? Do Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do but do you know that all the darkness stops the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that we could see it all clear? We do. It's all creation growing. It is. Coming, it is. It's the glory of the Lord to be alive within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone home? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of Judah who conquered the grave. Is David true than the Lamb who died to ransom the slave? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our Blessings and honors and glory. Is he worthy of this? His Father truly loves us. He loves. Does the Spirit move among us? Jesus, our Messiah, forever those He loves, He loves. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in me? 
blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.